0: My name is Matt. I'm the lead pastor here. It's so good to have you all with us, whether you're online or you're in the room. Um, we're continuing our series today. And as we think about Jesus and him doing all that he's doing in our lives, it's interesting that Jesus consistently, he, he pushed his closest followers to be in uncomfortable places. Which means if somehow this morning when I'm talking at some point you feel a little uncomfortable, you're in good company because Jesus would always push his followers to be uncomfortable. And one of the reasons he did that is because he was on such a short time schedule he had to get them where he needed them because he was about to do something amazing in the world and with them. So he put them in situations that they were over their head and sometimes they would um, stumble and sometimes they would just absolutely fall but then he'd pick them up brush them off and, and said, let's try this again, guys. And he put them in another tough situation. He was trying to get something accomplished with them. It's interesting. When Jesus called Peter and Andrew and James and John, like the first guys he called out of their everyday boredom of their lives, this was his invitation. And we talk about this a lot around here. His invitation was, come and follow me, Jesus said. Come with me and follow me. And I will send you out to fish for people. Um, now, maybe in your version you have in your hands or at home, um, it says, be a fisher of men. But basically, we're going to go and we're going to do something in the world and bring people to the kingdom of God. And it's weird because the people that he called, the men that he called, were mostly fishermen. And they just got off of fishing expedition right when he, after he said this. They'd been fishing all night, and they didn't catch much. They almost caught nothing. And Jesus invited them not just to fish for fish, but fish for something so much better And later, when we'll get to this. um, These men of the sea, these men that were used to being on boats and in open water, Jesus would push them into situations where they had to row against a storm and they would fail again. But he was trying to get them to understand something. And then Jesus, a little bit later um, in his time on earth, he sits him down and he says something to all these close friends of his that were following him. He said, you guys that believe, here's what's gonna happen. You're gonna do the works that I have been doing like, you've been watching me do, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Now, you got to remember that his followers have been watching Jesus do things like walk on water and heal the sick and, you know, water into wine, which is an incredible miracle kind of thing to do. And they're like, wait a minute, Jesus, we're watching you do amazing things, and we're a disaster. How are we going to ever do greater things that you have done? And then Jesus... He decides to give them what really is one of the best learning examples we have in the New Testament of what it looks like to follow Jesus, because he created this situation that was soulful attention. And maybe you had a situation this week that was soulful attention. You know, that thing that happens at your job or your family, and you're not sure it's how it's going to work out, and you're just nervous about it. You may feel that today. Jesus actually created a time when his disciples felt that, and were overwhelmed by that. See, Jesus had been teaching all day, and there was a big, big crowd, like thousands of people. And at the end of the day, everybody's hungry, including his closest followers, and his disciples come to him and said, hey, Jesus, everybody's hungry, but really, they were hungry, I think. So you gotta do something. We gotta get these guys some food, and they said to Jesus, send the crowds away, all these people, so they can go to the village and buy themselves some food. Then Jesus looks at the crowd, And he looks at his guys, and he says this weird thing. They do not need to go away. (laughs) You, here's the tension part, you give them something to eat. Which, at this point, his followers must have thought, here he goes again. He's putting us in impossible situations, trying to get us to understand something, and we just can't keep up with them. We will come back to that in just a moment. Because we're in part three of this series called Faithful. And it's the idea of fueling your faith wherever your faith is in the world that's on empty. And I've thought about that last little phrase, a world that's on empty. I think a lot of us feel the tension of a world that's on empty, and maybe your world is on empty. Or maybe you showed up today and you feel like you don't have any faith. And I just need you to know you're in a great place because this is why we're talking about it. Maybe you had faith and you lost it. And we're going to try to figure out how do we have faith that's real. Faith that's strong and confident in our lives. And when you read the gospel, Jesus' agenda was always follow, follow, follow. And one of the things we 've said throughout the series is not just believe because Jesus wanted us to have an active faith, an alive faith, a gritty faith, a great faith that could test the time that 's why follow me was such a powerful statement that some of us didn 't hear this enough growing up in church if you did. this is follow like move in the direction i 'm going and live in the way that I live and Jesus never backed down, and he never changes up to the very end and This is something we've said a lot that may shock you that I'm saying from stage. The church came along and they took follow me and they just turned it into believe in me. Now it's important to believe, so don't get me wrong. It's important to believe. But when we just believe, there's not necessarily change in our lives because you know people that believe and they say they believe. They can even quote the scriptures why they believe. But they don't look a lot like Jesus. There's not been much change in their life. But when you follow Jesus, where he leads us, change happens. And that following confirms our belief. And you may never heard this before, but Jesus would actually invite people to follow him and go with them before they believed. In fact, all of his followers originally didn't believe in him at all. And then they gave up belief, and then they believed, and then it's just this complicated thing. But it would lead them to have trust and confidence that they would live out. Because this is what we think. That God is most honored. And some of you are really passionate about honoring God. Some of you are still figuring that out. But he's most honored. By living an active here and now faith. Not just, hey, I got it in my head. And I patted my heart. And I feel emotional about God. Those are all good things. But it's when we apply what's in our heart and our head. Like, hey, I'm going to forgive. And this is really hard to forgive. I'm going to forgive because that's where Jesus has led me to. I'm going to have compassion and You know, I'm not a real compassionate person, but I'm going to have compassion or I'm going to affect the next generation by leaning in and loving and leading the next generation to Jesus. Because when I step out and I follow Jesus, and it's a little nerve-wracking sometimes, my trust with God's faithfulness blows up and grows up my faith. That's why we've been asking the question, what what would I do? And this is a personal question. This is a question I wish every one of us would ask every day. What would I do? How would I live? How would I respond? How would I treat her? How would I treat them? What would I avoid? Because there are some things in our lives we probably should avoid that's not easy to avoid. But what would I do if I was confident God was with me in all those times as opposed to being fearful and making bad decisions or fearful decisions or nervous decisions or selfish decisions, what would I do if I really believed God was with me? Not just in the next three or four weeks, but over a lifetime of, of, of following Jesus. And we're all invited. And we want to answer this question, what fuels or facilitates the development of active, enduring faith? Because you know people that have active, enduring faith. You know people. It just feels like they're stronger than we are and like how do I get to that place how do I wake up with confidence in God like the people I know and in this series we're talking about five things that blows up and grows up our faith and last week we started with the first one we call these often the five faith catalysts we jumped into the first one last week and it's this idea of practical teaching grows and blows up our faith and many of you would say this because we hear this all the time people will say you know I came and I listened, and not just to me, but to other people and other environments, but I listened, and there was this moment that I had an aha moment. I mean, I'd heard this all my whole life, and I believed, and I attended church, and then I heard practical teaching that made sense, or I went to camp as a high school student, or was it a college campus crusade environment, and when I heard it, it's like the light bulb went on, and not only did I understand it for the first time, I started doing it and applying it to my life, and my faith grew. Because as I stepped towards what I was being taught, I learned to trust God more. It was like, it was like I had handles on my faith for the first time. Pract- practical teaching, this is the idea. It's when our active faith, I'm following and I'm doing, interacts with God's faithfulness. Our faith grows. Because as I step out and I trust God, because let's be honest, there's some things that Scripture teaches us, that Jesus teaches us that are uncomfortable. But when I do them... I find God in the middle of it, and I find that God is faithful to what he says. And we do those things sometimes with no guarantee of how it's gonna turn out, right? That's where the trust part is. Like this take the idea of forgiveness, which is really hard for some of us. I'm gonna I'm gonna forgive, but I don't know what the outcome of me forgiving my dad is, or my mom, or my friend, or my ex. But I'm gonna do it because Jesus called me to do it. And it's like that faith muscle gets exercised and it gets stronger. And maybe you've never been in an environment where there's practical teaching and a push to apply it. It's just, you know, I believe, my hand over my heart. We're trying to grow that faith. And it's not because, and this is so important, it's not because we're trying to get God to love us. It's because he loves us and what's, what's best for us. And when you hear people tell their faith story, often is, and then I understood for the first time because of practical teaching, and then I did. And God showed up. That's the first faith catalyst. The second that we're going to talk about today is this idea of personal ministry, personal ministry. Hear someone's faith story, and they talked about the first time that they stepped out and did something for someone else. They stepped out and served someone. And they always tell this part of the story. I didn't feel adequate. I didn't feel like I measured up, but I was nudged. And I was part of somebody else's story for the first time. And maybe you would tell the story. Yeah, I get this because I felt a nudge to serve at a nonprofit in town that just helps people. And that was hard. Or, Or I had a neighbor... They just needed someone to physically help them or emotionally help them or just be their friend. And I didn't know them, but I walked across the yard and I was so nervous, but I decided to serve them. For some of you, you would tell the story of, listen, I decided to do one of the scariest things in our church and that's being a middle school small group leader, right? And sitting in a circle with middle schoolers. And I was terrified because I didn't know how to talk to middle schoolers or how to figure that out. But I did it anyway when I sat with those middle schoolers. Woo! Not only did I help them grow, I grew and I learned from them because God used that in us. And the invitation is when we follow Jesus, when we sign up, when we show up and it's inconvenient and it's hard, God does something in us. And just so you know, when it comes to personal ministry, we hear this all the time when people step out and do it. They say things like, I, next slide, was so nervous. I was so nervous when I tried that. Of course you were because it's nerve wracking, right? I was in over my head. I didn't understand all the scriptures. I didn't have everything figured out. I didn't literally know the old Testament from the new, but I started figuring out because I was not caught forced, but I was kind of pushed to figure that stuff out. And I felt inadequate and unqualified because I was out of my comfort zone. That my friends is what personal ministry causes us to do. But the other statement is powerful that goes along with these. In light of all these, I knew I knew it was what God wanted me to do. And there's this deal that when we get to the place of, but I know this is what God wants, and we do it, we don't have the time or the resources, but we know he wants us to do something, and we think about 10 different reasons why we want to back out, and one of yours might be, I'm just not educated or smart enough or wasn't raised in the church, but you do it anyway, whew, something happens in us. I'm not that great, I'm not that quiet. I'm doing it anyway, and I'm following God. And God shows up and He blows up our faith through personal ministry. And he, when we look back, we realized God used us on the other side as someone else's life, and it helped them. It also helped me see personal ministry, personal ministry is pushing through our inadequacies because we all feel inadequate when we step out to serve people in order to say yes to God for the benefit of other people. But it grows our faith, enduring, strong, I'm going to push through it kind of faith. That's what I want to talk about just a little bit today when we can look back on the other side of a season of our life. And realize, hey, that took some effort, some time, some energy, some love. But in that, my faith grew. And maybe today you're wrestling with what does this look like for me? Well, we're going to talk about it in the community, in our homes, our neighborhoods, and in the church that I hope you love. And I always think about this. I never know what hangs in the balance in these kind of moments. What hangs in the balance for me and what hangs in the balance for other people. But before we get into what Jesus said about all this, I wanted to bring a person—a uh, person in our church that does this so well—and she represents about 450 people that do this so well in our church, and that's Miriam Owens. So, Miriam, uh, come on out. We'd love for you to join me. You need to know that Miriam has been serving for a couple years now, I think, um, yeah. and it's good to have you with us. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah, good to have you here. So, so, Miriam, I ask you to be here because you're one of our rock star volunteers, along with a ton of rock. Star our volunteers, right? Yeah. Um, And so tell everybody what you do in your personal ministry at LifeHouse.
1: So I'm in Upstreet. It's a kid's environment, uh, catering to kindergarten through fifth grade students. So what we do in there is we have scripts uh, that we deliver a message similar to what Matt does. I'm a host and I deliver that message on a stage for those those children.
0: Gotcha. Um, What's been a benefit for you when it comes to that?
1: The relationships that I have made um, through the other volunteers there has been, an amazing benefit spiritually. Um, connecting with others who want to also grow in faith, but teach these uh, these children more about God and watching them get excited about God has been the biggest benefit, I that, think, faith-wise.
0: That's really good. Hey, side note, what's the funnest thing about that age group, <laughs> that elementary age group, with all that energy and craziness back It there? is
1: the energy. That's the <laughs> most exciting part about it. That's, that is exactly the takeaway of the day. When those kids are excited and taking the Lord's story home with them and Sharing that with their friends and their family—that's that's really the best part.
0: That's really cool, and I'm sure you can match the energy step for step, right? <laughs> I try. Okay, good, good, good. A little God. bit of coffee gets
1: us, gets
0: us <laughs> going. Ain't that the truth? That's great. <laughs> um, so, like I said, you need to know Miriam represents about 450 people that volunteer at Lifehouse. House. Um, when you look around as a volunteer, what volunteers inspire you?
1: There are many, I mean, just from a simple hello from the parking lot greeters is is something that really triggers my my mood for the day. But, you know, from guest services and the kids' environment and um, many, many, many uh, others, I just have one particular person that stands out to me, um, someone that actually asked me to be a volunteer, that's Megan Dickey. She really breathes the Lord's love and and breeze that into others and i think that she's been a really big light and a mentorship for me and the growth of my faith so i'm very thankful for her and her ministry
0: yeah megan was a rock star volunteer then she was in charge of upstreet now she runs our whole kids ministry i mean she is an incredible volunteer and leader that's for sure um so we're talking about this idea that when, when personal ministry comes along the feeling of inadequacy um have you ran into that in the world around here?
1: Absolutely. I think that if anybody hasn't had a chance to volunteer, being asked to volunteer can be a little bit intimidating. And um, when I was asked to volunteer, I thought, Lord, do I have the Bible IQ to give a proper message to these these children. And, and I really strive and, and want to be able to do that. But do I have it? And no, <laughs> uh. I don't think I did at the time. I, I really think no. And um, But the, the greatest part about doing it anyway is the growth um, that I've had w- alongside of these children. So I am also growing in my faith and in the word of the Lord and, and within these stories that we're sharing every single Sunday.
0: That's so good. I want to. I want to make sure everybody heard that in the place and online. I said, Miriam, you, were you equipped for what you did? And she said, No, no. Isn't that great? She's honest about it. Well, did you know enough scripture? No. But it, it's growing your faith. Is you, I appreciate that just that honesty with that. So because sometimes in church, where maybe where you grew up, where I certainly grew up, you weren't supposed to say stuff like that. But it's how we get God to help us. So yeah. thanks so much for that. Yeah. Um, any other thoughts of how God has showed up with you and the kids and what's going on with the other adult leaders back there?
1: Uh, yeah, I think that, you know, um, (laughs) it's funny you say that. I, I actually was with my, my parents last weekend and we were talking about purpose and serving. And, um, my dad said, faith without works is dead. Um, and, and that really, truly, I think, encompasses what a volunteer is and and what they do. Um, Because when you pour into others, God is absolutely gonna pour into you. And I have found that in an astounding way. I think that my children have, all three of them are in the upstreet environment with me. Um, And along with many other volunteers and the relationships that I've met along the way, I think that God is pouring into all of us as we serve for him.
0: That is incredible. on behalf of being the lead pastor, I want to thank you and the other 450 or so volunteers, which about 80 or so of them, I think, are high school, middle school students, which is overwhelming. I might be exaggerating that number just a tad, but I'm a pastor. I get to do that, um, which is crazy that that many students are serving, just making this place great, not just for everyone else, but for your own faith, too. So thank you so much. You. you guys give Miriam a hand. We'll let her get back to her whatever she's getting back to. So good, isn't it? Yeah, I hear that and I go, so often we talk about faith for other people, which is certainly part of it. But when I hear that, I think, man, I need to have a personal ministry for my own faith. Which brings us back to Jesus' situation with his followers. Remember, they came to Jesus and they said, Lord, send the crowds away so they can go to the village and buy themselves some food. And Jesus looks at his followers and say, they do not. They do not. Next slide. They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. And Jesus starts to put the tension on his followers. So I need to give you some context of what has just happened here. Um, shortly before this interaction, Jesus finds out some terrible news about his good friend, who we think is his cousin, also John the Baptist. You know, if you know anything about John the Baptist, um, he was one of Jesus's inner circle guys. But John was a little crazy, and he wasn't afraid to call people out for certain things. And he decides to call um, Herod, not King Herod, but the governor of Herod, governor of Israel, out for some really not so good behavior and Herod gets talked into by his family of literally taking John's head off his shoulders and serving it to a, on a platter to his friends I mean you need to read the Bible there's some incredible stories in there that I mean you wouldn't expect to be in the Bible and so Jesus hears about this good friend his family member one of his guys that has just lost his life And his disciples heard it too. And this doesn't make any sense. And this is why this doesn't make any sense is Jesus was helping all kinds of people. He was healing the sick and providing food and walking on water and literally bringing people back to life. And one of his closest guys, John the Baptist, is in terrible danger. And Jesus does nothing to help. He doesn't step in in that moment. And his followers had to think in that moment, this is kind of important for some of you, that that made no sense. And this might encourage you, because maybe you're in a season where God's not making sense to you. It doesn't feel like God is showing up. He's not responding. Well, you need to know, Jesus helped so many people, but a guy you would assume he would save and help, he did not help, because he had a bigger plan for John and the world. So just so you know... That's where Jesus is in this moment. And Jesus is hurting and he's tired and he's worn out. Matthew, who was there this day after he heard this news, it says, when Jesus heard what had happened about John, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place because he's tired. He's weakened, he needs to recoup. And he had such a crowd that would follow him everywhere, literally thousands of people. Um, The only way to escape was either to get on a donkey and walk slowly away, which you can't escape, or get on a boat, because there were no escalades to jump in and drive off into the sunsets. But getting on a boat would give you a little reprieve, and Jesus needs to recoup in his humanity. Learning of this, Matthew tells us. The crowds, all these people, they followed him on foot, from the towns and when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd he had now he did not want to see a crowd in this moment but it doesn't say he was angry he was so upset he was exhausted lost his best friend possibly but he had compassion on the crowds and he healed their sick and this is where we find Jesus in the story with his disciples so he begins to teach and heal and do all these amazing things with thousands of people around him on the side of a hill. And back to what we read earlier, as evening approached, after all this teaching and healing and exhaustion, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. In other words, there's no McDonald's or Wendy's around here. They, we got to send people out to find food. Jesus, send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. And in this moment, Jesus turns the tables on his closest followers and he says, you guys, you give them something to eat. And in this moment, Jesus invites his followers and he invites you and I to the thought of, I'm gonna let you be part of the solution from here on out. In this impossible situation, where there's thousands of people who are very hungry and tired, there's no way to feed them all. I'm gonna invite you guys to be part of feeding them. John writes about this. John, you know, who took care of Jesus' mama after Jesus, you know, went back to heaven. John tells us that this was a test. Jesus was stretching their faith, testing their faith. He was asking them to step into an opportunity to follow and trust Jesus. Andrew, he, he speaks up, and he's got a kid's lunch And Andrew says, hey, um, Jesus, we have only five loaves of bread and two fish. In other words, Jesus, I have gone and I found some seven-year-old's lunchbox. And I asked him if I could borrow it. I didn't steal it from him, Jesus. I said, can I borrow your lunch? Jesus needs your lunchbox. And he gave it to me. And there was some fish and a few loaves of bread. And that was in the lunchbox. And Jesus, he smiles when he sees what's in Andrew's hands. And he says, Andrew... Bring them here to me, he said. Just, just bring that here to me. Well, Jesus, why do you want this? There's thousands of people on the side of this hill, and you want a few fish and a few pieces of bread. You want this kid's lunchbox. And here, my friends, is where we come into the story. If you're a follower of Jesus, or you're thinking about following Jesus, you're investigating it, here we stand with our lunchbox and some of you have what you would say is a smaller lunchbox than other people you don't have as much resources and much knowledge much skill as other people and you would just admit that but you still have a lunchbox that god has given you others of you would say yeah i have more resources and time and my lunchbox is a little bit bigger but i have a lunch box because we all have different resources And what Jesus is doing in this moment to his followers, and I think us, because we're still his followers, he's inviting us to join him with what we have. And we talk about this a lot when it comes to joining God um, for the next generation, for families, for our community, for our church, that one of the easy ways to join God is just ask this simple question, what breaks your heart? And maybe for you, you got some big things that break your heart, like the faith of the next generation, like in making sure that your kids and your grandkids and other people's kids know the love of God in their life. Maybe you, you have a son that breaks your heart for a neighbor that is just in dire need and you can't stand to watch one more day go by without him or her having some hope. Maybe it's students and you have a student or you know students, you're a teacher and you just know the struggle that students are in the midst of. And what they're being told by social media and people in our lives and, you know, whoever else. And you just think, somebody has to help students navigate this complicated world. Maybe for you it's families. Maybe for you it's single moms with unexpected pregnancies. And what do we do for them? How do we love them? Maybe it's families that are struggling. You just know families need help. What breaks your heart? See, apparently somehow the disciples had a thing that they were concerned about how hungry everybody was, including themselves. And now we have the disciples standing there. All they've got is this one lunchbox. And Jesus is about to do something amazing with what they have in their hands. Look what we're told. As he directed the people to sit down on the grass, like everybody sit down, Jesus would say, I'm about to do something with these guys for you. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and he broke the loaves. Just really quick, anytime you see Jesus giving thanks to his heavenly father, I just think this is what he's doing because he does this in other places in the scripture like in front of Lazarus' tomb. Like heavenly father, I know what I'm doing and you know what I'm doing and I know what you're doing because we're one. But I'm talking out loud to you so everybody else knows we're one. He gave thanks. Then, Then he gave them to the disciples, all the pieces of fish and bread. He opens up the lunchbox. I just would love to have been there when he opened up the lunchbox and he smiled at how little was in the lunchbox. And he took from the disciples what they had. In other words, he took what they could give him and he decides to do something bigger with it. And in this moment, he is teaching his followers to walk by faith. And this is an important point, I think. A lot of times in church, we talk about walking by faith. Like, I just believe God's going to heal somebody, which, that's fine. Or I believe God's just going to provide, that's fine. But walking by faith is such more more meaningful and deeper than that. Walking by faith is God, I'm not sure how this is going to work out, but I'm going to walk towards it anyway. I'm not sure what the outcome, and I'm terrified, and I'm nervous, whatever it might be, but I'm going to do it anyway. Can you imagine... When he began to pull pieces of bread and fish out of that boy's lunchbox, and he said, here, Peter, start handing this out. And he's like, shouldn't we make the smaller pieces? No, give them those big chunks. That's where we're starting. Like, Peter and the other guys had to be thinking, we're gonna look like idiots here in about 30 seconds when we give our food away to seven people. We're gonna look like morons, but I'm gonna give it anyway. Then he gave them to the disciples, the fish and the bread. And the disciples gave them to the people. In this moment, their faith was being activated. They're doing. They're stepping out. They're a part of, even though they're not sure how in the world this can work out. And God's faithfulness is about to show up. And this remarkable thing happened. And you probably know this story. If you don't, here's what happened next. They all ate. Wait a minute, you mean seven of them? No, thousands of them. They all ate and they were all satisfied. It'd be great if it said they were all satisfied and then they ate more and didn't gain any weight. That's a story I really wanted to say, but I can't find that in the scriptures. Anyway, they all ate and they were satisfied and the disciples picked up the 12 baskets of broken pieces that were left over. Are you kidding me? It just, it just kept coming out of the lunchbox. More and more and more. And here's what's cool. Jesus could have done it all by himself. He chose to invite them into it. And I think about our lunchbox around here. I mean, when I think about the last five, the last 10, the last 20 baptisms we've had at this church, and I think, wow, that's amazing what God's doing, and we get to be a part of it. When I think about, you know, the environments for kids and how kids are learning that God loves me and Jesus wants to be my friend and watch it and play. It's really an amazing thing that some of you are finding faith that you never knew you had. I mean, it feels like we have a pretty big lunchbox at this church. It really does to me. And it's a lot in doing part of all that you're doing with God's help. But you need to know something about Lifehouse. There was a day that we had the smallest lunchbox you can imagine. We didn't have any of this. We didn't have any money. We didn't have any people. We didn't have a big building. We just we had a handful of people, I should say, who had this little tiny lunchbox and a dream for people that didn't know God in our community. And they knew, we knew that God was calling us to do something, not just for ourselves, but for other people. And we brought our little lunchbox And let me tell you what, at 36 years old, I knew so little, and I was so ignorant to so many things, I didn't have much leadership wisdom, but we just said, listen, God, we're bringing what we got, and we were told we were foolish, and it was stupid, it would never work, and God said, you know what, that's okay, bring your lunchbox, bring what you got, bring your hearts, bring your passions, and I will join you in the middle of it. And now the stories we get to be a part of, and we've been a part of them along the way. We talked a lot about this on our 15 year anniversary, that not only did the faith of other people change, our faith changed. And we tried something that was a little bit impossible and God just said, bring it and I'll use it. And it didn't dawn on me the significance of this until we were about, I don't know, seven, eight years into this church and we had a lot of people. I think the last Easter service we'd had back then, we'd had like 1,500 people show up for Easter. And a friend of mine came to visit and observe our church and he said, you know, Matt, with the size of church that you have and the size of a town like Van Wert, your people, not you, but your people, had the opportunity to change the way a whole community sees God. God. And I went, I never thought of that before. And the 300 kids that will come through our kids' world this year, they'll see God differently because the incredible people back there, they're just bringing their lunchbox every day and sitting down on the floor with some Wambeland kids and going, do you know that God made you, God loves you, and Jesus wants to be your friend? You see, whenever we step into that and get to be a part of it, this is what we're saying. God, I'll do what I can do. In fact, I would love for everybody online and in the room to say this with me. Ready? Let's try this. One, two, three. I'll do what I can do, right? And and trust God to do what only he can do. Let's say all this together. And I want you to lean into this just a little bit because this is a big deal. Here we go. Ready? I'll do what I can do and trust God to do only Yeah. I mean, this is the stuff It's not just believe and sing a worship song and read some scriptures. Do that. It's, God, I'm going to take that and now I'm going to do what I can do. And I'm going to exercise these tiny little faith muscles that I have And I'm going to let you blow up and grow up my faith because someday you're going to be in a situation that you're going to need real, strong, vibrant faith. And if you don't do this, if it's all just about I believe, I believe, I believe, your faith won't be there when you need it. And I'm telling you from personal experience, watching people's faith crumble when they hit hard things because they never exercise it. My friends, that, that is what walking by faith, that's that's the walk that builds your faith. Sorry about that. And so here, here's his followers, Jesus' followers. They're walking around, and they're collecting all these extra pieces of bread and pieces of fish and all these baskets, and they're smiling from ear to ear, and they're probably laughing, and they're thinking, I can't believe this. And the wonder in their eyes, I mean, they have been opened up to a whole new world that they get to be a part of. And I think they probably were thinking, let's do more of this. In fact, if I was in the crowd because I'm not as good as they are, I would probably say, how can we monetize this? Because if I get Jesus to make food like this out of a food truck, man, we can make some cash. And so, but they're thinking, let's do more. Let's feed people. Let's go into Jerusalem. Let's get everybody well-fed. And Jesus goes, that's a good idea, but no, we're not doing that. Here's what I want you guys to do. Remember, this amazing thing just happened. And the next thing Jesus says is, I want you to get into a boat. And I want you to start rowing. And Jesus knows what they don't necessarily know is they're about to fail because they're going to row their boat into a terrible storm. And these fishermen are going to get stuck on the water. And the reason Jesus, I think, is telling them to get in the boat and cross the lake is he wants them to start connecting the dots because they're about to be in another impossible situation. And what he wants them to do is connect what he just did with the loaves and fishes to what he's doing out on the sea that if I can trust Jesus here, I can trust Jesus anywhere because he's going to need them in the future to trust them him with all of their heart because he's going to hand the whole thing off to him. So after this happens and then Jesus goes to the cross and he dies on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins and their sins and then he rises from the dead which was the ultimate trust builder in Jesus' life, he gathers these same guys on the side of the hill and he's about to return to his father in heaven. And Jesus looks at him and he says, Guys, I want you to go and make disciples of all nations. To which these guys, remember, these are just normal or below normal guys. I mean, their success in regular life wasn't over the top, you know, off the chart strong. They're just normal guys getting by. And Jesus called them for three years Guys, I want you to go all over the world, but Jesus, we've probably never been 50 miles away from our hometown. I know. I want you to go all over the world and make disciples of all nations. I want you guys to take your lunchbox, what you have, your skills and your energy and your resource. I want you to take your lunchbox, whatever you have, and I want you to tell the world about me. And in that moment my guess is when he said that they were like, "Wait, wait, Jesus, all over the world, that is in Im- That can't be I remember that loaves and fishes thing. I-, I remember when he was dead on the cross and we thought it was over. And then I remembered when he made all that food and he rose from the dead. And I'm not sure impossible should be in my vocabulary anymore. And know this, they would do this as fugitives, as men on the run, as men and women that would be killed and stoned and burned alive. And they decided just to do it anyway, to take their lunchbox and do what God asked them to do and trust that God would join us. And you, you know what? 2,000 years later all over the world we're talking about these guys and these men and these women who are followers of Jesus that felt this nudge to do. And it changed the world. And you know who we're not talking about? All the people that chose not to do. Isn't that amazing? You see, personal ministry. Ministry that's my ministry. Personal ministry positions us to experience God's power in our weakness. It just does. It, 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 I experience God's power in my weakness because I'm not sure I can do it. I'm not sure I can say the right words. I'm not sure I can you know, go on the mission trip and serve people in another hard part of the world for a week or a month or a year or whatever God's calling you to do or communicate with middle school students. But you know what you don't also know? What hangs in the balance for you and your faith and their faith, someone else's faith. See, personal ministry, personal ministry Um, positions us to experience God's power and our weakness, next slide and it positions us to experience God's faithfulness in response to our acts of faith lunch, box faith let's just be honest, that's all we've got some of you may know it as mustard seed faith but when we bring it to God he does something with it and it's how we have enduring faith and strong faith and it's the nudge, it's the nudge that you may feel today Will you just think God is asking me to do something? Because He is, and if God's not asking you, you're not listening. Because God's asking all of us as Jesus followers to do something with Him, and all He's asking you and I to do is just bring your lunchbox. Hey, I, Matt, man, Matt, you kidding me? I, I've been coming to church here for you know two months. I don't know anything about anything. Bring that. I, I've been in church fifty years. And I've never done anything with it. I've never served anybody. I've never volunteered any. Bring your lunchbox. That's all God is asking. And let him supply the rest. It is how the world changed once upon a time. It's how we can change it again. So with that said, I'm about to do something that's just a little weird and a little strange. So hang on. Um, in a second, I'm going to invite our guest service team in. And they're going to give you an opportunity to say, I'm interested in doing something for something else in the church that I attend. Now, I know there's some um, new people in the room because I invited some and I told one person, you come to our church, we won't ask you to do anything and I'm not asking you to do anything because that would not be true of what I asked you to do. So you can just sit and watch the rest of us process through this. But if you're part of our church or thinking about being our per- part of our church, I'm about to give you an opportunity to step up to the plate in it. So guest service team, if you guys wanna come, we're gonna flip the lights on a little bit and they're gonna hand you a card that looks like this and a pen because cards that look like this without a pen are worthless, aren't they? We don't want anything to be worthless around here. If you're online, there should be a link for you to click that you can join us in this. And as these guys quickly pass all these cards out because we don't have a lot of time, I wanna give you an opportunity to say, you know what, I could be part of something. I could have some personal ministry at the church that I am a part of. And if you're new to our church, this is one of the best ways to get locked in and be a part. So I'm gonna let them hand those out quickly, quickly, quickly. And I want you to take one, whether you're already in a personal ministry or not. This is just good for us all to exercise in this. And as you look at your card, it's simple information, um, name and gender and email and cell phone, birthday. We promise we will keep it private, not sell this information to Amazon I promise you that Um, same with you online I'm going to let everybody just get a little caught up to me Um, and then I I would love for you to fill out your serving status so if you're new at LifeHouse I mean if you're really new and you don't want to do any of this I get it but if you're new and you just want to say I'm new I want to let somebody know I'm here check that box that's awesome that's all you need to do but for the rest of us that aren't new you can check hey I'm already serving I'm already, check it and check it with some pride. In fact, you can put a star next to it and high five me on the way out and I'll give you a high five and a hug. But maybe you want to consider a little deeper serving at the church that you attend. You can also say, I'm ready to start serving. Like, okay, I've been thinking about it and okay, Jesus got me today. I'm in, I'm serving today, I'm signing up. Or you can just get more information on serving. We'll have some conversations with you. And then on the right, you can check an area of interest, whether it's kids or students in the production team that makes all this cool, fun stuff happen. Guest services, they're a blast to hang out with. Or you're just not sure and you're open to doing anything for anybody. We love those kind of people. I, I guarantee you that. And, and we'll help you find a place and we'll walk with you through this. And this would be a really, really good thing for you and I. I would love for you to just do that right now. And online, i love for you to do it. And know this, I'm just gonna keep talking while you guys are working away. Um, I said this earlier, there's no way does this mean God loves you more if you do this. And if you don't do it, God won't love you less if you don't do this. It's just not how God works, that's, that's ridiculous. This is our response to wanting our faith to grow and caring about someone else in our world and letting God get in the middle of it all. Because I think we want enduring faith. We want strong faith. We want gritty faith. And it's when you step into those hard situations, it's where you, know, you go, okay, I got a few fish and a few loaves to offer and that's it, but I'm doing it anyway. The God seems to show up. And this is where God nudges us to do something with us. Bring your lunchbox, guys. Fill out that box. Find a place to do that. Um... As we wrap this up, I, I want to tell you about one more thing and connect the dots for us. And it, it's this thing that happened a week ago Saturday. Um, if you're still filling out your cards, you just keep doing it. That's really important. This is um, called Baby D, it's baby dedication, and we do it a little different. There was like hundred people in the room, and each table represents some young, well, some parents with little kids. And some of the tables represent single parents. Some of the tables represent grandparents that are raising their grandkids, but they all showed up so they could have a plan of how they're going to raise these kids to follow Jesus, to have values and habits as a family so they can walk their kids towards Jesus. And I watched this happen in this room. And it was just such a privilege to go, these are people that are trying to follow Jesus with their entire families, whether you're a single mom, a grandparent, or you got mom and dad together, you know, working in unity. And then I thought, we get to come alongside them and cheer them on. We get to come alongside these families, these kids and these single parents and help and change the faith of the next generation, the generation after that. And I want to give my life to a lot of things. I'm not sure there's anything more important than giving my life to that whether I'm greeting them in the parking lot, working with them in Wambland somehow working with adults, but well, we get to do that. And I want to invite you to take a big step in doing for your faith because it will blow up and grow up your faith. But I'd love for you also to consider who else you're doing it for. You don't want to attend a church where you just attend. You want to attend a church where you're growing and you're helping other people people grow and this is the opportunity and we'll walk with you through it and we will help you so if you fill out that card you can drop it in on the buckets on the way out the doors. i would really encourage you to do that now listen we're going to sing this last song and this is so emotional for me because i've just got to see the benefits of it over the last 20 some years we're going to sing this next song about you know blessing the next generation the generations to come and i want that for us and i hope god just keeps nudging you to step out, to do, to let your faith grow up and let your faith blow up and watch it happen in somebody else's life because you brought your lunchbox, what God gave you for somebody else. I hope you'll do it. And I hope we all have faith that's strong and gritty and lifelong.